You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery, from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. Today, I am very excited to welcome Sarah Gibbs. Uh, she is a showrunner for Incredible Animal Journeys, which is a new series premiering on National Geographic uh, on the 19th of November, which is just around the corner, and then also on Disney Plus on the 20th of November. This is an incredible series, so you're going to want to listen to this interview. But first, I just want to say welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Great yeah. to finally be able to talk about this series, you know, three years in the making. And for most of that, we're covered by a non-disclosure agreement. So we can't tell you the great things we're up to. I know. I know. I That was uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about because, uh, you know, three years to make this film. So I, I do want to get into the nuts and bolts a little bit of it. But first, just your background. You know, how did you get involved in this project? Well, in this project, I think um, I got into television, I got into the media because I am naturally curious about the world and I want to tell stories. And there is no greater platform for me than the natural world in terms of storytelling. You know, these are the greatest stories. They are natural dramas. But no, I've, I've made a lot of different programs in the run-up to this. I started in talk shows, in entertainment, moved over into factual programming, always had a real interest and passion for the natural world. Um, I made lots of programs about the countryside in the UK, uh, programs about climate change, and really kind of the opportunity to make this for Nat Geo and Disney. It's just such a great platform and such a great opportunity to be able to tell these stories on a bigger stage. The filmmaking today in these animal documentaries is just beyond what I grew up with. The grainy cameras, the jeeps following animals. Today, uh, really talking about the intimacy. I mean, we're talking seven continents. So you're telling these journeys just to give the listeners just a little preview without giving it all away. But you go to the the with the Serengeti, uh, the yeah. Arctic, the Antarctic, the ocean, uh, all around the world. You're telling these stories. I want to ask about a few of them. But like you said, it took three years to make this. How how does something like this come together and, and covering the entire planet? Yeah, you've got, you've got to have a really big vision and you've got to kind of, there's planning involved, but there's also spontaneity. So, so the series, as you say, it's incredible animal journeys. And, you know, we think, us humans, we think we're the world's greatest explorers. 
We're definitely not. We would all be lost without the map. So our remit was pretty broad, right? It's like incredible animal journeys, find the most incredible migrations on earth. And animals are the real heroes. You know, they are genuine explorers. They will travel thousands of miles. So we have, uh, you know, a humpback whale. She travels uh, 6,000 miles from Hawaii to Alaska to feed with her newborn calf in tow. But then we also have a tiny barn swallow, no bigger than the size of your hand, who makes a 6,000 mile journey um, from the South Africa to the UK to reunite with her long lost love. So it's kind of this huge range where these animals travel without borders or boundaries and they navigate. I mean, we can't even conceptualize how they navigate. So they navigate by sun, by moon, by stars, you know, salmon on this uh, epic thousands of mile voyage home back to the river they, where they were born. They actually smell their last way home. They can smell the water. So you start by thinking, okay, wow, what are, what are the great stories out there? What are the stories that are really going to draw the audience in? And they are, you know, as we say, we go to the Serengeti, we do zebra migration, but we also are looking for those surprising and unexpected stories. So for example, we do a little journey of a zombie who only has to make a 50 foot journey, but you know, he, he has obstacles to overcome on his way. So we have all of that. And we look at it. And as you say, I think natural history has really evolved and really embraced technology. And that has brought a step change. You know, the digital world now allowing us to shoot in 8K, you know, we're shooting cinema grade quality. And that's, that, you know, that's the great thing about making something like this for Disney Plus, that ambition and that geo, that ambition is incredibly high. So we set out to tell the most incredible animal journeys in the world. But because this is for Nat Geo and because it's for Disney Plus, we also want some stuff you haven't seen before. So we want some world firsts. So we work with scientists. We work with really talented crew and teams across the world, an international team. And we go out there and we kind of push the boundaries of science mm. to see what's new. Um, one of the things we really wanted to do was tell a story from the very beginning. So we really wanted to get a humpback whale birth. Um, which no one's ever filmed before. It's mm -hmm. kind of that whole grail of wildlife filmmaking. And again, it's about kind of creating the relationships and, and the opportunity for that to happen. And then luck, a good amount of luck. Yes. Well, I, okay. So uh, to, to, to bring that up, because I was going to ask you about that, that, that birth sequence. It, that's why everybody listening has to watch this because, like you said, it's never been filmed before. But my goodness, the intimacy of the cameras, the water quality. I mean, I'm, I'm watching this and I'm like, is this AI generated? Because it's so clear. And I know we're, we're going to talk a little bit about behind the journey episode at the end, which is how you made this series. Can you talk about how they were able to film that? And, and with all the whales, I mean, there, there's tons of humpbacks around and. Your film crew's in yeah, the water we're, filming this. You're, uh, and our, our crew are in the water. So we have a safety diver and a camera operator in the water. And then we have a whole team on the surface. So how we get there yeah. is we build relationships. And, and um, we work really closely with scientists, world-leading scientists. So in this case, Dr. Rachel Cartwright with the Keiki Kaloa Project. And she works out of um, California University. She's been studying these whales her whole career, right? She, she knows... 
Rachel knows everything about there is to know about humpback moms and calves. And so we work with her because it's also her ambition to witness a humpback whale birth. It's not just us who haven't seen it. Scientists are desperate to see it as well. So, and also you've got to remember that for us, animal welfare is paramount. Mm. So filming with these animals, it's a really, as you say, a really intimate moment. It's a really stressful time for them. We don't want to put any extra stress on them. So we work within a very strict permitted framework in Hawaii. So we talk to scientists, we work with scientists, we um, spend a great deal of time out there. So I think uh, the team out were out there for about six weeks in order to capture that moment. We're working with people who really understand these animals' behaviors. That particular moment, and, he, and he, you, you sort of reference it, it was almost entirely unexpected because if you know anything about humpback whales, um, they go to Hawaii, so the Alaska, the northern hemisphere population go to Hawaii to to breed, basically to breed and give birth. Um, the waters are warm. That's not why they go there. It's actually they go there because it's relatively predator-free, so it's much safer than Alaska weatherer, orca. Mm-hmm. So, and if you've ever seen, understand the um, humpback male, uh, humpback, humpback whale uh, kind of mating ritual, it's kind of a chase. Well, the, the, the males chase the female in what's known as a heat run, right? They're called competition mm-hmm. pod. Mm-hmm. It's really intense. It's kind of a competition. There's loads of testosterone around. The reason <laughs> there are lots of whales around there is that birth happened at the end of a heat run. So mm-hmm. we were following something which we thought was going to be a mating event. And then suddenly it stopped. Divers get in the water. Camera operator pops up and says, I think I can see a tail. So crazy. It's I mean that's really fascinating about it for us and the scientists. It's the behavior of the males in that moment. So they sort of stop, they hang around. And we don't know why. This is all it's all so new to science. We don't really understand why. Hmm. Could they be offering protection? Could they just be looking for a chance to mate with her? But what we do see is this incredible behavior, which is really otherworldly, is they blow bubbles. Mm-hmm. And like whales blow bubbles for all sorts of reasons. They blow them for screening, which is probably what's happening here. They also blow them as um, bubble nets to fish, to catch fish. So that kind of blowing of bubbles and that being able to witness that behavior and then all of that footage, all of those hours of footage, that goes to the scientists who can then study it. Mm-hmm. So we're not only bringing this behavior to an audience who's never seen it before, we're also helping scientists kind of further research and our understanding of these incredible animals. Oh, I I don't think you can understate that, that it's not just the importance of capturing the footage for scientists, you know, as a scientist myself, you know, video footage can be very helpful in in behavioral studies uh, because, you, you know, you don't, you can't catch everything with your eyes. But I think the other aspect is telling this story uh, to the masses, because that's what's inspired me as a young child and and my children today and children around the world and adults around the world it inspires them to to conserve why we're on the topic of of humpbacks. I think this would be a good yeah. uh, good spot to talk about. I know we talked about it before we hit record. There is an incredibly tough sequence of a young female humpback whale tangled in nets that's near death. I've never. Uh, she looked like she belonged to beach somewhere after uh, decaying. It just, I, I just, I was in tears watching this sequence. Can you talk about that? And then 
I in the behind the journey. So what I, what I want my listeners to get out of this is it's a very tough sequence to watch, but I highly encourage after you watch it, go watch behind the journey because that tells more of her story. But if you can just kind of describe what happened and then uh, our listeners, when they, when they watch it on Nat Geo and Disney Plus, uh, they can see this. Yeah. So it's a really heartbreaking sequence. And it's, for me, the standout sequence of the series. Mm-hmm. You don't go in hoping to get this because it's so heartbreaking to see an animal in such distress. But when you do, when you do happen upon this in the natural world, you have to kind of give it the respect it deserves. So as you say, we really unpack this in our Behind the Journey episode, but it's still um, a long sequence in the middle of our Ocean Odyssey's episode. It's the real heartbeat of that episode. Um, it's a young female. She is, as you described, she is emaciated. She's covered in whale life. She's pale. Um, basically, she's tangled in ghost gear, ghost fishing gear. So discarded fishing gear. And this is big fishing gear. It's not, you know, a, f- a fisherman's line. It's, it, it's, 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 it's industrial fishing gear. Is now the deadliest marine plastic debris in our oceans. Over a million tons of nets and lines are lost in our oceans each year. And they cause huge trouble for marine life. This whale has been dragging this line, we think, thousands of miles. She's starving and she's so weak she can barely break the surface to breathe. So number one, that's so first of all, it's an illustration of how dangerous these journeys are for these animals. Their obstacles used to be um, orca or, um, you know, from the natural world, storm. But at now, actually, increasingly, the obstacles are human. But what's so extraordinary at this moment, and it's, it's also, it's another world first. Actually, you will always like me to say that. Another mm-hmm. world first because what happens is humpback calls can travel across the ocean. She's calling. And we know she's calling because we had cameras in the water and we had sound in the water. And another whale, a healthy, a, a, a young male, um, approaches her. And at this point, tiger sharks are circling because they know mm-hmm. she's weak and looking for an opportunity. They know she doesn't have long to live. This juvenile male, this young male, comes in. He clears the tiger sharks by using his tail. He beats them off. And then... And this is what's so extraordinary about the sequence. And, um, you know, I've watched it a hundred times and it mm. still makes me cry. Mm. Um, and I, I, I defy anyone to watch it and not have a lump in their throat. The companion whale lifts the young female on his back to the surface so she can breathe. And it's just this extraordinary act of kindness. And we don't often talk about, and uh, technically it's altruism, so it's a kind of something that's done without um, getting anything in return. It's kindness, and we understand kindness as humans, but we don't often attribute it to animals. It's an incredible act of kindness, and he actually stays with her in her kind of final hours, days. So you you see this moment, and for me, it is heartbreaking, and it does make you cry, Mm. but there is also this extraordinary hope that this behavior it's kind of, we all just want someone to hold our hand, right? Mm-hmm, At the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that's what this whale is doing. And as you say, um, we explore this obviously in the main episode, but in our Behind the Journey episodes, we, we show you how we came across that whale, how we worked with Noah with their mm-hmm. whale entanglement team, how we use our drones so that they can help. Because as filmmakers, you're not supposed to intervene with the natural world. 
But in this case, you know, Noah, they're going to try and do what they can and we're there to help them. So they try and, and they cut a large section of the line away. But still that whale, she's, you know, there's really nothing they can do for her. So yeah, it's a, it's a real, well, for me, it's a real heartbeat of the series and it, it just allows you to fundamentally connect with these animals and see how smart they are, how intelligent they are and how they really deserve our respect. Yeah, no, it, it, it like you said, it, it, it did uh, that, that young male lifting her to the surface. You're just like, it, it's amazing filmmaking and, and behaviors. You know, we talk yeah. a lot about our understanding of animals in the last 20, 30, 40 years, a hundred years has, has increased so much that they have feelings, they have culture. They, you know, he sees a, a female in distress and is helping her. I mean, literally exactly. helping her, you know, it's yeah, physically uh, and emotionally. So by staying there and, and, you know, he just hangs there. He hangs out with them. Yeah. Um, that is, I think for everyone who was there, it was a really a moment of absolute wonder at the natural world. And like I said, something you never wish to see, but you will be changed forever by seeing it. Yeah. Hey there, fellow super moms. This is Angie from All Creatures Podcast. Are you juggling a million things at once like me? Between work and podcast deadlines, after school sports, taking care of the kids, and of course, all of our pets, finding time to cook nutritious lunches and dinners can feel like an impossible mission in my house. But guess what? I've found the ultimate lifesaver, Factor. Picture this, delicious chef-crafted meals delivered right to your doorstep, ready to heat and eat whenever you need them. No more stressing about what to cook or spending hours in the kitchen. With over 35 mouth-watering options each week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, and more, Factor has something for everyone in the family. My husband and I are loving the vegan options, and we are also enjoying their amazing add-ons, from snacks to yummy smoothies. Factor isn't just convenient, it's budget-friendly too. So say goodbye to expensive takeout because Factor meals are dietitian approved and cost less than dining out. Plus, you can customize your plan to fit your busy schedule and pause or reschedule deliveries whenever you need to. And the best part? Zero prep, zero mess. Just pop a meal in the microwave and boom, lunch or dinner is served. So choose Factor because every super mom like you deserves a break from meal planning without compromising taste and health. And we all need more quality time with the creatures we love. Head to factormeals.com slash creatures50 and use code creatures50 to get 50% off. That's code creatures50 at factormeals.com slash creatures50 to get 50% off. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Well, so, some of my other questions. Okay, so you know, we had wandering albatross, rockhopper penguins. Yes. We we, <laughs> but brown bears. The salmon was was amazing. The barn swallow. One I wanted to ask about because I, it's so interesting. I was just talking about this this week in my in my class to my students. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the year, and I always give my wildlife talk, and I talk about the monarch butterfly. Oh yeah! How incredible! You know, so we have all the big ones. We have the elephants and the, and the zebra and the polar bear and the whales. But the monarch butterfly, that migration journey astounds me. Can you talk a little bit about them and what well, you capture? It's, it's mind-blowing. And I think, I think what, we, what, what we really wanted to do with this story in this episode is the monarch butterfly is often seen in a nature documentary. And what you see is the spectacle. You see the millions and millions of them in Mexico. But no one ever really explains how they get to the prairies. Um, and there are lots of misconceptions about monarchs and how they do this. But for me, what's mind-blowing is the monarch makes this incredible journey from Mexico to the prairies in the US and Canada, um, where the food they need to kind of um, support the next generation, where the that's where the food they need is. But not even death stops the monarch. So the monarch can't make that journey in one straight shot because her life is only so long. So it takes a monarch three generations mm -hmm. to get prairie. So basically, she regenerates along the way, handing on the baton to her offspring. Um, and they're basically all programmed with the same destination and the same goal. And then what's even more extraordinary is they get to the prairies, so that, that final generation gets to the prairies, where there is plenty for them to eat, although the prairies are sadly squeezed out mm -hmm. uh, because of agriculture and loss of habitat. But the, the fragments that remain are still teeming with life. And um, the monarch is specifically going for milkweed, which they're absolutely addicted to. But it's the only food that they will eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. And that will give them enough energy to produce a super generation who make the whole journey back to Mexico in one go. So it's this incredible story about this tiny butterfly that not only can navigate using the sun. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. You know, with a brain the size of sesame seed. <laughs> yeah, it's tiny. Right? And, and, and constantly working her way north. And, and, you know, one of the sequences we, we have, um, shows one of the biggest dangers they face now, which is um, roads. So, yeah. so vehicles actually kill a lot of monarchs. Um, so our monarch not only has to face down um, kind of finding the food she needs to eat, but she also has to face down trucks on her highways in the US. Yeah. So yeah, it's an, it's an incredible journey of kind of reincarnation. Um, and we really wanted to explore it in more detail. And that's what, for me, also... What I'm really proud of with this series is often in a, there have been many series about migration um, and they have lots of spectacle in them. But what we do is we take you on the journey. So you see the beginning, the middle and the end. You see the, you know, you, you see every part of it and then you really understand how tough that journey is for that animal. That's a good lead into the next question I no. had because some series do show the realities of the wild and others they don't they avoid it and so there are some 
this series shows how tough it is. There are some tough moments. And I'm like, wow, I haven't seen that in a while in a nature documentary where like 20, 30 years ago, you know, showing lions chasing down zebras, no problem. You don't see that quite as much anymore. But in your series, kind of a two-part question, you know, what are your decision-making and showing some of this? But one of those epic journeys is sea turtles, right? The green sea turtle. And you always cheer for those little turtles when they hatch. And it's... And there's an incredible sequence with the black tip uh, reef shark, right? Yeah. How do you decide to show some of that? Because those little turtles are, I mean, everybody loves sea turtles. And to see those dang gulls, you're like, oh, I, you know, I love birds, but oh, leave them alone. I know. But I think that's nature. You've, it, that's nature. So that's nature, right? And I think with any good drama, and that's what this is, right? Each story is a Hollywood drama all its own. There is no joy. If you don't have despair. So, and, the, and this is the truth. You know, we couldn't write these stories. The reality of these animals' lives is they are action packed. They are a roller coaster. So, as you say, we, you know, we, we, again, we take the hatchling from the moment she's born. She has to make it down the beach. She doesn't know what's lying in wait for her. And, and she's basically running a gauntlet. I mean, only one in a thousand hatchlings will survive to adulthood, right? Mm-hmm. And she's setting out, you know, for the turtle, it's not so much a journey of miles, the lifelong journey. She's making a 30-year journey out into the open ocean, and she will eventually return to the beach where she was born to lay her own eggs. So, yeah, we, she, so there, for us, you don't want to be gratuitous, but you do want to be honest because people do understand this happens in nature. And also, we really want you to root for these animals. So when the turtle makes it to her end, the end of her journey, you want, we want you to know all those things she's been through. And when she has to face another shark, um, this time a tiger shark, on her way back to the beach, you want to think, she's done this once before. She can do it again. Maybe she's got the smarts to get out of this. So, so yeah, she, she, she faces two sharks. One, she surfs all the nose off, which is an incredible shot. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. You're like, oh, um, and the other, she, turtle. Yeah. I know. And the other, she uses her shell. It's amazing footage. So we, um, part of the remit of the series was to be immersive and experiential and really put you in these animals' worlds. So we have this, these great shots of the, the turtle turning her shell. And some of those are because we've got a camera, an onboard camera on a tiger shark. So that's the mm. tiger shark filming mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. moment. So for mm-hmm. us, it's about covering all those angles as you would with a multi camera shoots to kind of really put you in that story so yeah it's 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 tough some some of the moments are tough there's still it's still really suitable for a family audience and you know yeah yeah kids look often the most receptive to this but for us it's like you've you've got to show how tough it is because it is it's really tough well yeah i mean even go to the chris yeah i wrote down the christmas crab (laughs) the coconut crab is the largest crab of the world and, and and then it just Oh, I won't ruin it. Just watch it. You're like, no. I can watch it, but you know, it's like two dumb crabs meet each other in a forest. <laughs> what happens? This massive no. crab goes, oh, I'm hungry. Uh, no. um, yeah, and quite blind, so you've got to imagine them sort of stumbling around. Yeah, I know. I got to get to Christmas Island. It's off Australia. I got to get there one day. A, a question I had from the filmmaker's perspective, because I know it's all about the animals, but when I watch uh, 
this series and I'm thinking from your perspective, how do you put the story together? The one thing is the, the polar bears up in the Arctic, yeah. North Alaska, Hudson Bay in Canada. How safe are they? Because I don't wouldn't want to be on the ice with polar bears. I just, I'm telling you, I, no thanks. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's the, when you watch the documentary, one of the things that has always been for me is you often don't realize how big these animals are. So I think as a human, you kind of know how big an elephant is, but you don't really realize that a polar bear is really big. Yeah. And they are really fast. They can run like 30, 40 miles an hour. So yeah, you, the one good thing about being out on sea ice is you have a good degree of vision that you can see around you. Um, yeah, it, you know, it is dangerous, but we, we always have to remember we're in the animal's domain and respect that. So it's about kind of minimizing our impact, understanding animal behavior, and then making sure, sure the crew are as safe as possible. And a lot of the time we have vehicles or we film from boats and that obviously puts us into a point of greater safety. But yeah, you have, you know, they're the world's largest land carnivore. They are. Yeah, huge. No, thanks. And they are hungry. Mm-hmm. They are hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they much, much rather eat the seal, though. So, yeah, true, um, true. We don't have much blubber uh, compared to the seal. Yeah. No, we are not yeah. a satisfying set. Talking to the scientists, are they, uh, you know, especially I guess up in the Arctic, are they noticing? Because I think you do some show some new behavior or uh, new footage, especially the Hudson Bay sequence with the beluga whales and the hunting. Are, are the scientists seeing the polar bears changing because that pack ice every year is is getting smaller and smaller? Oh, absolutely. And uh, the Western Hudson Bay population are the most studied population in the world. You know, they've been studied over time. They're also very far south for a polar bear. You know, they are they are on the right on the limit of the survivability. Um, what they're really seeing, and this is you know, this is where like migration species and and um. This particular population of polar bears, they do make a migration. The, 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 the moms of our story is a mom coming out of the den with her two cubs, making the journey onto the sea ice and then migrating back to the den to teach her cubs where home is. Is they're just seeing huge shifts in timings and then also in the weight and body condition of those bears. And you are seeing adaptation. So, for example, that population of bears have learned to get these belugas once the ice has gone. But, you know, there's only so many adaptations these animals can make. And we saw that, you know, we made the series across three years of scientists studying these animals for decades. In the three years that we were making the series, filming elephants in Africa, in, in, in Kenya, it didn't really rain. You know, yeah. the, the rains did not come. And, you know, in, in Africa, the seasons are rains, not rain. Um, they had showers but they didn't have reins. And we were making a story about the elephants following the reins. And, and instead we have a story of the elephants following drought. So you, you are seeing changes and migratory animals are kind of exposed to these changes more than perhaps the animals who live in one place because they're exposed to so many different habitats. Was there anything that, that you filmed really surprised you or surprised the scientists? I know we talked a little bit about like, I mean, the humpback, story and and the one that was dying i mean that was wow uh, was there any others that we haven't talked about yet that was just you know blue yeah, people so we've got a away? couple of other things we've got a couple of other things that haven't been seen before or filmed before mm-hmm. one was known to scientists they had seen they had seen it but it hadn't been filmed 
So it's this incredible behavior in our home at the end of the earth episode, which is our Antarctic, um, Antarctic Ocean episode, um, which is orca. So we all think of yeah. orca as the bad guys, right? Killer whales. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> without reason. Um, but we show you a really different side to them. So there's a, there's a population in the Antarctic where the water in Antarctica is pretty cold. That means it's got great food, right? Fantastic. Mm. But it's so cold that these orca, they can't shed their skin to stay healthy. So an animals need to shed their fur, their feathers. They need to stay healthy. So in order to shed their skin, they have to make really fast trips. And there's uh, scientists who've been studying this. They um, and discovered what they call it's the world's longest migration solely for skincare. So mm -hmm, this particular mm -hmm. orca, they head north to the tropics, they molt in the warm waters, and they come back and they do it really quickly because the food they want is in the um, Antarctic Ocean. But because they can't shed their skin, they get quite we would call them dirty. They don't look they they're not pristine. They're a bit yellowy green. And we also think this probably is a little bit uncomfortable. So what scientists have, had observed is this population have learned, and this is like an amazing use of tools in animals, right? They've learned to use icebergs as scratching posts, like a cat would or a bear would. And they come into these icebergs and they scratch themselves on them to relieve any kind of itch. So we really wanted to film this, but you know, you're trying to find a pot of orca, a family pot of orca in the Antarctic Ocean. It's like a needle in a haystack. Yeah. So yeah, the crew spent about six weeks. They only saw orca for six days. And when they saw them heading towards an iceberg, they knew we had something really special. And it is the most incredible, ethereal five minute sequence. Mm. Beautiful water, this family coming into this iceberg and he, and you can see the mum teaching the calf mm -hmm, how to mm -hmm. do it. So it's just this kind of amazing bit, amazing bit of behavior. So it, it was surprising in that only a handful of people have seen it. Um, we're the first people to film it. Mm. Um, really great to be able to show it to people because it's a, it really is another side of these whales. The other thing we had, which was really surprising, and there are lots of surprises in, in all the stories. You know, for me, almost the most surprising story is that barn swallowed this tiny, tiny bird making this incredible yeah. journey. And she, at one feisty little bird, mm -hmm. yep. you know, she has to fight off fish that jump from water to try and eat her. She has no. to try and fly across the Sahara, which is a desert the size of the US. And yeah. she can only go, uh, you know, it's five days across the Sahara. She can only go a few days without drinking. She basically has to battle a sandstorm. She has to of a um a hobby a small bird of prey and then she has to get to the uk so there, there are things like that that are surprising then we also did get some other behavior that's never been seen before um in the falkland islands which is with gentie penguins mm -hmm. the fastest penguins we were going to film there's a sea lion who will um a southern sea lion that will run onto the beach to um catch them as they come out of the surf because uh, Gentoos land on uh, sandy beaches and they're great surfers and they um, some of them land more elegantly than others. When we went, what we actually saw, what the crew actually saw, and they were in a tiny little cabin for four weeks, what they actually observed was a team of sea lions cooperatively hunting the Gentoos. So the sea lions would kind of gang up and they would come in a pincer movement and move in on the Gentoos as the Gentoos were coming back to shore. 
And this is behavior that we were the first people to observe. And we only could do it because we had drones. And mm -hmm. uh, the more they saw it happening, they just kind of couldn't believe what they saw was happening because we know that sea lions will co hunt fish, but no one had seen it with penguins before. So, you know, that was pretty surprising. And again, it's a really, it's quite a brutal sequence, but you are definitely mm -hmm. rooting for Gen 2 to make it. Yes, always, always, always. Uh, I still go back to the little baby sea turtles. I'm like, oh, go, go, go. That is and that's what we, we want you to be on the edge of your seat. That, mm -hmm. you know, they're chasing. So we want it because if you care about these animals, you'll want to protect them. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, that's what we really want is to make no. people back in love with the natural world. Yeah. And, and, there, and there's some really good conservation messages in there too. So when you do talk about the whale entangled in the fishing gear, you do show the monarch butterflies flying over agriculture and pesticides and things that kill them or on the roads. Uh, all of that, you know, it, it, it does inspire you to, to try to make a difference. You know, I felt I was so excited to be able to talk to you after watching all this. And hopefully our listeners are, are really excited to watch the series because it just, you, you know, it's one you, you, you just sit back and watch and it just sucks you right in. And before you know it, you're like, wow, that's over. I want more. <laughs> you know, yeah. Watching the seven episodes, yes. there's, there's yeah, lots yeah. to watch, but yeah, that. They're really, for me, what we wanted to do is make these, show these animals as heroes. Mm -hmm. And they yeah. really are. And for you oh. to be transported on a journey, it's a, for me, it's a chance to step out of our world and into theirs yeah. and really understand yeah. what it's like to make these journeys. No, it, it, it is incredible. And then also narrated by Jeremy uh, Renner. So yeah. such, a, oh, such a great voice. It's, it's just, he, he's just, oh, his narration is, is spot on. It, no, it's it really, just, and it's really tough when you're kind of casting for something like this because you spend three years making it and then you really think, oh, what, what is the voice? You know, what is the voice? And I think Jeremy for us, he brought gravitas and he brought an emotional connection. And that's what we really wanted was that emotional connection to the animal because, you know, in natural history, you, you have the pictures, you have the script, the, the narrator, and you have the music. Yeah. And that's, you know, it comes together. That's all the tools you've got. So, so it's kind of your story has to really sing. Yeah, it does. It does. Again, incredible animal journeys premiering on Nat Geo on the 19th of November, Disney Plus on the 20th of November uh, with National Geographic. It's going to be released over three weeks. Uh, watch Behind the Journey. Uh, I always, you know, some people don't ever, ever watch that part. I highly suggest you do. Please watch that, especially how Noah comes in and, and trying to save this humpback whale. And then just it gives you a deep appreciation for what you do. Sarah and your crew and everybody on there, I, uh, congratulations uh, on the premiere coming up. It's a spectacular series, and I hope everybody listening watches it. Thank you. Yes, please do watch it. It, it really is. It's a visual feast, but it also is food for the soul. Yeah. Well, thank you very much and uh, take care. Thank you. Thanks, Chris.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are you looking for a podcast your whole family can enjoy together? Uh-huh. Check out Culture Kids Podcast. Our adventures will ignite your curiosity for culture, traditions, languages, geography, and even pop culture with interviews from guests all over the world. Through each episode, we aim to help children become empathetic, creative leaders in their communities and help them see the beauty in our differences. And that's Culture Kids Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.